welcome to a new episode of the Marketing Innovation Podcast Show. This is Andre, and our special guest for today is David Miller, entrepreneur, patent and trademark attorney, and intellectual property expert. He specializes in protecting companies with IP legal advice, and in today's episode, we discuss trademarks, copyrights, patents, and how to protect your intellectual property as a business. Devin, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you? How's the energy? How's the day going? <laughs> it's going well. So uh, busy as always. That's the way I like it. So life is good and I'm happy. So no complaints. Awesome. Awesome. So where are you tuning in um, from today? So yeah, so I'm in the US and uh, Utah, just uh, north of uh, Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Nice. So it's the middle of the day for you as we as we record now. Really excited. Yep. <laughs> so um, a lot of interesting stuff that we want to discuss uh, about today is the first time that we actually dig into this subject on the show. And I know it will be very relevant for a lot of people. Uh, and everybody, I'm sure, is going to, you know, live with uh, with uh, some important nuggets of, no- of knowledge. Um, and uh, before going straight into the, you know, like trademarks and intellectual property subject, um, mm. let's uh, help people get to know you a bit better because you've done some pretty impressive things uh, in your life. Uh, you've also been a serial entrepreneur funding and being, you know, uh, involved with a lot of businesses, including the one that you're running at the moment. So um, tell us a bit about your journey, how you got to where you are today, what got you into this niche. Yeah. And that's a, a long, a long question to, or a short question to a long answer, but I'll, uh, I'll try and keep it reasonably concise. So, um, a bit about myself. So I, uh, graduate or I got four degrees, which my wife always jokes is three degrees too many. So I got an ele- or undergraduate, I got an electrical engineering degree as well as a Mandarin Chinese degree. And then when I was kind of getting towards the end of uh, engineering school, I kind of had two passions when I thought law and intellectual property was fairly interesting. I also loved entrepreneurship and startups and my own business. And so rather than do one, I went off to graduate school and got uh, both a law degree and an MBA degree or master's in business business administration at the same time. So Mm -hmm. I grabbed both of those. Um, And then since then, or even uh, while in school, and we can uh, happy to dive into a bit of the business that I've ran, but started my first real startup while I was uh, doing the dual degree. um, And uh, that's still going and still an active company that which I uh, actively participate in. Um, Been doing, did have done several startups as uh, kind of side hustles and really just second time jobs as well as uh, pursuing my legal career. So I did work for some of the biggest law firms in the U.S., um, top 100 law firms for a period of time. And then about three years ago, I kind of had an itch to want to focus on startups and small businesses with my law firm. So started Miller IP Law about three years ago, really with the focus, hey, I'd like to provide same level of quality, same level of service I did with the big clients when I was with the big firm, but for startups and small businesses. So about three years ago, I made the leap, started my own firm. So then I also took a lot of what was, I guess, you know, side hustles. And I always look at side hustles. It's really just a second full-time job because I was working as many hours on my side hustles as I was my full-time jobs. Um, so I was, uh, you know, so I kind of combined all of those and started to integrate in a lot of the different businesses, my pursuits, my time to kind of or have those all meshed together and it's worked out well and it's been a fun journey. A couple other fun notes. So uh, I've been married for 13 years um, to college sweetheart, um, have four kids that are between the ages of five and 10, oh, well, oldest of the son and then three daughters. Um, and uh, so I've done several. I have my family. I have uh, or my, my religion and my church. And then I have my business. And I've done uh, three or four startups that have, and a couple of those have been seven and eight figures as well as now Miller IP Law. So lots of fun things and lots of things that keep me busy. Exciting. So um, at the moment, you are focusing mostly, so you still run some of these startups. I mean, you know, businesses that started off as startups. Um, Mm -hmm. And then um, a lot of your focus goes into um, the IP law. So how how is it? 
how's your like what's your standard let's say so they i mean i mean i know two two of them will never be the same but yeah i was gonna say every day is different. i mean one week i'll focus a lot more on the ip law and that'll be my er, predominant focus other weeks is on the startups and so it's every every bit is a bit different i mean i usually work on any given week anywhere from on a low week 50 or 60 hours on a high week 80 or 90 hours so you so I tend to work uh, or plenty of hours and I also try and put a lot of time aside. So if I'm not basically working, I'm with my family and spending time with them. That's kind of my two competing interests um, or, you know, two places I spend my time. But really, um, you know, any given week, probably half of my time is on the IP side or the law firm side. So about 30, 40 hours a week. And then half of my time is going to be on the um, all my startups and kind of running or running and managing those. And really to be able to juggle all those and manage the multiple businesses and that have some great team members, a lot of great people that support me that allow me to really kind of explore and, and go after all my various, um, various endeavors all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So um, tell us a bit about your work with uh, startups and with uh, businesses with uh, Miller IP Law. So um how do you help them? Uh, what are the most uh, encountered things that they come with at you when they are looking for this this type of advice? Yeah, so maybe I'll answer. I think that one of the questions was is kind of you know how do we focus or what do we do with startups? So you know one thing is backing up a little bit, and I mentioned a bit is I you know I work for big law, you know, big law firm, and they had clients, including I worked with Amazon.com and Intel and Ford and Red Hat and other companies. And so those were always the one, but I always found that I loved working for startups and small businesses because they're the fun ones. They're the ones that they have one idea they have They're you know, they're not, they don't have the multi-billion or, or million dollar or trillion dollar budgets or whatever it is. They have a small, small budget they're they got one thing and they're making it go of it and you can have a lot more impact you can actually talk with them strategize with them work with them and so that was really what i found as a passion so then when i started miller ip law i said okay when i start a law firm i want to work with the clients that i really find fun and exciting which are the startups and small businesses and i want to figure out how to focus my firm so that we can uh fo- you know work with those and, and help them and so everything that i kind of set up from that point forward is really how to help startups and small businesses to compete at the same level as big business And so some of the things that we kind of looked at and did, one of them was um, we set it all up on flat fees. And so it makes it easy to understand the cost because one of the biggest gripes with most, you know, almost every attorneys, including intellectual property, when people go into them, is it feels like it's always a never ending check. I go in and from the time I walk in the door, they start the clock going. And I, you know, every time I ask a question, shoot an email, it can be a five minute question and they bill me for half an hour. And I always don't know what it's going to cost me. And it's always more expensive than what they estimated. So I said, let's, let's help them figure out, you know, let's do flat fees. So you know how much our fees, including governmental fees, how much all in is going to cost for you to do an application or a trademark. And that's where we started. And then one of the other things that we looked at was, legal industry has is up there with some of the worst customer services or customer service in the sense that you know you reach out to an attorney it takes on average three to five days to hear back so let's say you reach out on monday you send them an email give them a call shoot them a text whatever you may not hear back till friday or the following monday and that's absolutely got to be aggravating as you know on the on the client side of hey i'm just trying to get this is important to me this is an investment i paid you thousands of dollars and i can't even get a hold of you and so we also took a look at that and said okay what can we do different so 80 percent of the time we pick up the phone where you respond to calls right away or email right away we 90 percent of the time we're within about 30 minutes 
and we have a role that by end of the day, um, you have to have responded to all the clients' emails. And so we, we kind of took that and a lot of different things, but those are just a couple examples. And we said, okay, how can we make it so a startup and folks on startups and small businesses and, and make that a better law firm? Now, one of the other questions you hit on is a little bit of, you know, if you're now getting into a startup or small business and you're looking at intellectual property, kind of what are you thinking about? What are the things that are important? Intellectual property is kind of an umbrella term, and it kind of has three different three different things in that umbrella, which are patents, trademarks, copyrights. So patents go towards an invention, something that does something. It's a widget. It can be software, hardware, a wearable, you know, anything that has a functionality. Trademarks are going to be brands. It's something that's a, a branding. So name of a company, name of a product, a um, catchphrase, a logo, something of that nature. Anything with your brand really falls under trademark. And copyrights are going to be on the creative side. So more of, did you make, you know, a book, a painting, a sculpture, a movie, a TV show, a music, any of those that are kind of on the creative side, that's how you protect them. So usually when uh, they come in my office, the first conversation is, it's kind of what do you need as a business? Are you in the brand or are you building a world's best friend, you're the next Pepsi or Coke or Disney or whatever it might be, or are you really building the world's next great widget? You're going to make the world's best smartphone and make it, you know, awesome and better than anything else is out there. Or are you going to write the next, you know, Harry Potter or Tom Clancy or whatever the book is that you like, and you got to figure out what is your value and then how do you go about protecting and and creating an asset around that? Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, one question that popped into my mind, and I know it was, I mean, it can be for many an assumption, and maybe we can shine some clarity over this. Uh, so, you know, it's many times in the startup space when you are all in a rush and you just want to launch the MVP and you just want to have something out there to test with. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, like you have a brand name, you probably have a logo and a website and some social media pages and whatever, depending on, you know, the, the business. But um, I know in some cases, there can be an assumption that once you launch something that is, you know, you are the first one to launch it, uh, it can be assumed as implicit that you would hold some sort of right upon it if somebody came and copied it and, you know, uh, launched it as another brand or if it's a new technology, for example, or uh, even if it's like a catchphrase or something like that. So uh, what would you say is important and it's not so important for a startup to do before, for example, launching their brand and their website and these first assets, that would be like an MVP. Yeah, so, and I'll primarily hit more on patents and trademarks. Copyrights are a bit different. But, you know, one of the assumptions that is generally wrong is, hey, if I'm the first one to create a brand or create an invention, I'll automatically get it. I'm, I'm, I'm automatically covered. I don't need to do anything. I'm fine, right? And the problem is you get in this. So taking trademarks as a first example, generally, whoever files on a trademark application federally is the first one. And it's, it's usually the same in most countries is the first one to acquire those rights. So a lot of times what you'll have is somebody will start a business and they'll say, OK, we've got the perfect name and we're going to go spend all these marketing dollars and we're going to brand it. And sometime down the road, we'll get a trademark, but they don't really worry about that on the front end. And they go and build a brand and two or three or four years later, they say, OK, we finally started to build a brand, started to get some traction. Now let's go and actually get a trademark. And they'll run into a couple different things. One is, is that somebody else saw their brand, liked it, or just happened to be coincidental, came up with the same or similar brand, filed on it, and now 
somebody else owns your brand. And so even if you started later, you have some very limited rights in, the, in your specific geographic location, but they're very limited. And so you're going to be boxed out of being able to really use your brand in most states or in most locations because somebody else filed on it first. The other problem you'll get into on brands is sometimes you think, oh, I'm, I, I did a quick Google search and I didn't really see anybody using this brand or somebody else was using it, but they're using it a bit differently than how we intend to. So you start to do that. And then you get, you know, a year or two into it or however long and you find out, wait, no, they own this brand. And now, or you don't even, even worse is you never even search out the brand. You just say, hey, I'm going to start using this brand. Then you come to find out somebody else owns it. And now you're having to look to rebrand. You're having to go and try and figure out a new brand, let all your customers know, which is expensive. Or you're trying to go and acquire the other brand if they're even willing to sell it or get a license from them or any number of things, all of which is much more time costly and expensive and oftentimes is much more difficult. So that's kind of when you look to brands, when you want to get started and same with patents is really earlier the better. Once you once you know you're going to be building a brand around it, your company is going to be building the next best widget, it's going to be building the next best brand, that's what its value is going to be, then you need to invest and protect that because if what you, the worst case scenario is somebody else comes along afterwards and, and grabs that and now you're having, you're not even able to use your own brand. The other one on patent side that's even more or more difficult is with patents, there's a rule and it's the same in the US and there's different variations in other countries, but uh, generally is once you once you put something out in the public, you have a year from which you can actually um, go after a patent. So if you put offer for sale, you put it up on a website, you go to trade shows, you do conferences, webinars, you go and you know start selling it, whatever it is, you put it out in the public. You have a year to, from that time you put out in the public within which you can actually file a patent. You miss that year open to the public. Anybody can do it. It now becomes public domain. And so a lot of times the problem is, is we'll have clients that come in and wait a couple of years. They get their MVP. They sell it for a couple of years. They say, okay, we finally got some traction. We've got some income. We want to patent what we've been doing. And they come in my office and say, oh, just out of curiosity. So how long have you been selling? Oh, I've been selling it for two or three years and say, you know, that's great. You have a great product. Business is growing. Unfortunately, you're not able to patent it because you missed that one year time frame. The other thing, and I'll take a break, that they'll also think. So you got the one-year time frame. Other thing with patents is it's the first to file system. The first person to file on a patent is going to they're going to be the presumptive inventor. So really, if you know, unless you can really prove that hey, you're the first inventor, they copied you, they ripped you off, they became aware of your invention, and they mimicked it. That's hard to prove one of all. But even if you can, that's going to be expensive. Unless you can prove that. Generally, the first person to file is that. So let's say you're in a very competitive market. You know, you are in the, and I'll make it up, augmented reality, virtual reality arena. And there's a whole bunch of things. I'll give you a better one that's really competitive is golf clubs. Golf clubs are one of the most patented things in the world. And the reason is, is because you have a lot of rich doctors. You have a lot of rich lawyers that all want, all think that they can create the next best golf club. They have some expendable income and they all go in and try and get a patent on it. Just so, so nothing else, they have bragging rights to tell their friends, hey, I got my own patent at golf club. And so you go and try and start a golf club. And let's say there's a whole bunch of people innovating and doing different things with golf clubs. And you and you happen to come up with an idea and somebody else does. They file, You never file on it. Somebody else files on it six months later because it's very competitive. Now you just lost out. Now you're not able to pursue. You've just lost your investment. You don't do it. So there's a lot of intricacies. Really, the short answer is early as possible, the better. And if you have questions, I'd go and talk to an attorney so you can get a more specific timeline and strategize.
Mm-hmm. A question here would be, uh, so this, I guess, the, pat- the patent thing applies mostly to software, as you said, and products. But what if you have, or does it apply to service businesses? Like, can you have a patent on like a service type of business? Like, I don't know, a web agency or uh, a training agency or something like that? So the short answer is generally no. If okay. you had gone back 10 years ago, they used to kind of have what's called a business method patent, a method of doing business. And they, were, they weren't very good patents. And basically, after they went through enough court cases, the pendulum swung, you can technically still get them. They're incredibly difficult to get. So really, for service-based businesses, you're not able to... That's where you brand it because you're able to get something branding. You know, you do better customer service, you build a reputation. But as far as a patent goes... Now, there are a few exceptions as far as service-based businesses. Let's say you have web services and part of your services is you're doing, hey, we got... We're going to take some information. We're going to have AI. We're going to do data analytics. We're going to figure something out. We're going to do some different weighting of different types of inputs and information. And we're going to give you the world's best notification. Well, you know, such as a a SaaS company or software Mm -hmm. service. Uh, Some of those, they're doing a lot of back-end, innovating, creating things that are new. You can capture that software side or those other things that make your business innovative, but it has to be more on the functional side. So Mm -hmm. when you're looking at it, basically the standards for patentability, and maybe that's another good way to answer it, when you're thinking, can I patent something, if it's functional, that has a utility nature to it, if it does something, then the basic three standards are what's called novelty, obviousness and abstraction. So novelty is basically, has anybody else ever invented this? If somebody else has already invented it, you can't get a patent on something that's already been invented. Mm-hmm. Second thing is obviousness and says, okay, well, no, one person's not invented this, but if you were to take two or more things that are already out there, you're putting them together in an obvious way. You're really not adding anything new. And people in the industry say, yeah, you could have put those together. You're not really creating anything new. And so again, if you're just doing, putting a couple things together in an obvious way, you're not going to be able to get a patent on it. Last thing is abstraction where, hey, what you can do is just take something that's been done in people's head, pen and paper, and put it on a computer, put it on technology and call it patentable. And that's kind of where you get into a lot of times with the service-based industries is they want to say, hey, well, there's used to be this process that was on pen and paper I used to do in my head. And I made this quick, you know, software program that does the exact same thing that I did in my head. Then you're going to say, well, you can't do that because other people have been doing it pen and paper in their head. It's not really innovative. On the other hand, you're saying, hey, I used to take this process. It used to take me 10 hours to do. And I made a software program that does all this analytics and this data processing. Now it takes five minutes to do the same thing. And it does it a lot better and more efficient. Those things you can start to patent. So kind of when you're looking at it, novelty, or anybody invented it, obviousness, is it putting something together in an obvious combination, abstraction, are you just simply taking a something that people have done in their head or pen and paper and putting it on a, a device? Those are things you're looking at as far as patentability. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I have just one more question here on patents that I think it's uh, relevant for many of the listeners here that are probably just uh, funding their business or are in their early days with their startups. Um, how much can a patent contribute to the value of a startup when it gets valued? Yeah, it it really depends on where how the startup uses it. It can be very valuable. And some of the seven and eight figure businesses I mentioned that I've grown, they have a large part of the valuation has been the intellectual property that we've built around and built around our ideas and have grown it and inventions and whatnot. Because we'll go out, we've got licensing deals, we'll sell that. Now, what I don't want people to get is a false sense of security that hey, I got a great idea. All I got to do is go get a patented and then people will be knocking down my doors to get a license. They'll just want to pay me money and money will fall from the sky, which 
99% of the time, that's not going to happen. So I don't want people to say, all I got to do is get a patent. What you really have to do is kind of do something in the middle where patents can be valuable, but you still have to do the other parts of the business as well. You still have to show market viability that there's a demand for it, the people who are willing to pay for it. You have to actually go out in the marketplace and sell it. You get a, a small customer base. And then that's when the patents really gain, gain a lot of value. If you can go out, you can get a startup, you get a minimally viable product or an MVP or whatever you want to call it, a prototype, and you start to go out and sell it, you show that, hey, there's a lot of people who will buy this. It works in the marketplace. You can start to build that out. Then your patents become a lot more valuable because when the company comes to acquire you or take a license or otherwise do an acquisition or a merger, they're going to say, okay, what's we can do a lot of the same things. A lot of times when you have a business that coming to take a license or acquire you and say, hey, we can do what you're doing. We can do it faster. We can do it cheaper. We can do it better. So they're going to say, now what's proprietary about you? And you say, well, we have a customer base. Okay, well, that can have some value. You can see with some companies, you have a huge customer base or a huge client base that definitely gets you value. The other thing they're going to look at is what's proprietary. What do you have protected? What do you have patented? They can't go, people can't just come along and copy us because we have patented technology. Or we have a brand that's a very strong brand and we have very loyal followers and now we have trademarks on those so people can't just go and simply mimic our our, our, uh, our branding. And so those are the things. So you can get anywhere from it can be worth virtually nothing. If all you do is you think you're going to go get a patent or a trademark, do nothing with it and people are going to pay you not going to be worth much. The other hand, you build a company, you show market viability, you do some of the legwork, then it can be a, a great asset to the company that can in, uh, increase your valuation quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Fair. Okay. And uh, now going to the copywriting, uh, like uh, the copyright direction. So, um, and I guess this question would apply also to patents. Uh, are businesses or would you recommend businesses to typically uh, register for, for example, in this case, copyright? only in the geography they act within, even if they could at some point expand internationally? Or how should they go about, let's take a perfect scenario where uh, they are doing this before deciding on the brand, not after, you know, doing the checks and everything. Mm. So you say, if I were to rephrase your questions, kind of if you're looking at kind of wherever you're located, whatever country versus going international, how do you make or how do you bank that balance as to which countries to invest in? If you're saying whether it's patent, trademark, copyright or whatnot, how do you decide what what countries are protected? In? Is that a fair or summary of your question? Yeah. Like, for example, uh, let's say you, you plan to launch in a, like a new business in uh, the UK or somewhere in the US. Uh, would you do uh, and you know you want to expand at some point maybe three five years down the line in another geography mm -hmm. would you l look at checking the copyright and just securing that from the very beginning or not necessarily and just do it locally and then expanding what would be yeah, so copyrights are one of those that are typically easier so i you could probably wait until you actually expand into those countries because copyrights you have a lot more inherent in, inherent rights so if some if you're the first one to create it and as long as you can show that you can create it you have more ownership rights to it. And so copyrights, you could probably, certainly if you have the budget, earlier the better. And copyrights are always the least expensive to, to file on. So they're usually the easiest to go for. Um, but you could probably hold off until you actually expand to those countries. The opposite is not necessarily true for trademarks or for patents. So copyrights, I'd say, yeah, let's say you're waiting to expand into a country till three to five years, I'd probably wait till you hit that three to five year mark until you're actually going in there, file your copyrights and get them. Alternatively, on the 
um, patents and trademarks, just the opposite. Let's say, and the way I, a lot of times on patent and trademarks will approach it is where do you see your biggest, where is your biggest marketplace going to be for your company? Or where's the biggest, where's your clientele? So give you an example. I work with some medical companies or medical, you know, medical product companies, and they look and say, US is our biggest market. US by far spends the most on um, medical devices, medical services, medical products. And, you know, you look at per capita spending, US is number one. Europe or EU is probably number two, and then it probably whittles down to Asia, maybe Japan and that. But really, if you're in the medical device company, you're probably saying, if I only have enough money, I'm going to focus on the US. If I have, you know, so that will be, let's, you know, so give you an example. Some of the medical companies are saying 90% of our market's really going to be in the US. Let's focus on the US. Yes, Europe has 10% and we may get there some point, but if we have to decide where our budget goes, let's go with the US because that's where the bulk of our market is. So when I'm looking at country by, because if you want it, problem I get into with a lot of clients is I say, we're going to go worldwide. We're going to go sell in every place. We're going to be international. And then they say, we want to get patents and trademarks in every country out there. And they say, okay, we can do that. But each country is different. It gets expensive and you have to file in each country. And most of the time, you're not going to get the return on the value you want. So usually you're going to say, taking the medical example, let's say 60% of the US is your population. Europe may be another 30% and everything else is less than 5%, then you're probably going to say our market is is Europe and US will probably get a patent or a trademark there because it makes sense. We're going to have the bulk of our market there. And for that other 10%, we're just going to have to go and compete without a trademark. We'll go and compete without a patent because it doesn't make sense. We're not going to get the return on it. So a lot of the times when you look at whether you should file in your country versus internationally or which countries you file into, look and see where you project your marketplace to be, who your customers are going to be, where they're going to be located, and then go about protecting it in that area. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in terms of the trademarks, again, maybe this would be like a tricky question. At least it seems tricky to me now thinking about it. And I, actually, uh, I, this was something that I had an internal debate with myself when we launched the business initially as well. And I had to, you know, to uh, submit uh, the trademark registration and everything else. Um, in terms of trademarks. So for example, you let's let's take the case of the UK because it's a bit smaller than, than the US. So let's say uh, you, you have a business uh, starting out there and then you have the brand and everything else. You checked everything is fine. You can uh, register it as a trademark. Um, mm -hmm. What if you start selling in other countries as well? Let's say you start selling in the US as well. Uh, but then somebody, maybe one year down the line, uh, thinks, hey, this is a, like a very good name and a very nice branding. Uh, let's replicate that here. Can they steal your brand if you are not, if you don't have a trademark in that country? Or how does it go? Yeah, tip, the short answer is typically yes, they can. And uh, that's the okay. problem that you'll have. And you and they there's some ways to deal with it, but they're usually expensive and they usually are protracted and it may or may not be a good avenue. But the short answer is, yeah, you typically if you are, let's say you start a business and you take a, over UK by storm, you are the number one and we'll say, we'll say a restaurant, I don't know, a restaurant, you make the world's best hamburgers, you come out with a weight that's just better than every, you, you, you make McDonald's and Burger King look like nothing and you've taken over the UK. And then somebody else in the US says, oh, that's a really good and upcoming name. I'm going to go file a trademark on it. 
They are within their rights to go file it on it. They can typically squat on it. Yes, there are some avenues that you may be able to go do it, but generally it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and you're a low likelihood of success. So unfortunately, and that's the same thing. That's what usually a lot of times used to happen with China is you'd have a lot of companies that would say, hey, we see a lot of companies in the U.S. that are, in, that are outside the U.S. that are having brands. They hurry and go file in the U.S. because the U.S. is a huge market. And then when those brands come into the U.S. and want to start expanding their brand, they bump into these Chinese companies. And then all these Chinese companies are getting all the money for filing in the U.S. first. And so generally, that's what I said, earlier on the better, because if you get in there and you want to expand into other countries, somebody else owns uh, the rights or the brand to it, they can they can stop you from using that. Give you another example, which kind of the flip side, is you remember, you know, the Apple Watch. Pretty pretty well known. A lot of people have Apple Watches. when they And I think they may have overcome it now, but when they first launched, everybody thought it was weird. Why didn't they call it the iWatch? Because you have the iPhone, you have, you know, those, those type of things, iTunes, why didn't you call the iWatch? Well, the problem they ran into is that somebody else had trademarked the iWatch, or the iWatch in China. And China was a big market for them. And so they went into China and they couldn't negotiate. They couldn't get the rights to it. And so they ended up calling it the branding of the Apple Watch for a long period of time. And I don't know if they eventually acquired it otherwise resolved it for the first several years. They called it the Apple Watch because they didn't have the rights to the iWatch. And so even a big company like Apple, because they didn't have the rights in China when they wanted to go release it, had ran into that same problem. So unfortunately, it's part of the business game and you have to try and anticipate that and do the best you can. But yeah, if you if you have somebody else that gets those rights first, generally they're the owners of the rights. Mm-hmm. Got you. That was insightful. Thanks a lot. Um, and another question that I think it's uh, on everybody's minds unless they looked into this is regarding costing. So uh, obviously there's going to be a difference between uh, national versus international. Uh, but mm-hmm. typically, what would be an average or some that they should budget for this yeah i'll give you kind of and this is generally and it's you know it varies in that and it also varies on your attorney if you're looking in the u.s to prepare and file a trademark application our fees would be flat fees would be about six thousand dollars if you were to take kind of a range on the very low end you know if you're to go with a law firm or attorney do it yourself is a different thing but go with a law firm attorney you're probably at least five thousand dollars most expensive firms can be upwards of ten, eleven thousand dollars. If you're to go, and that's to prepare and file it. To get all the way through the process of a, a patent application, you're probably looking at between twelve to eighteen thousand dollars. All the way through the process, that's usually spread out over a two to three years. Mm-hmm. On a trademark, you're probably looking, you know, in the U.S. and you know, sorry, going back to patents. If you're to say the EU, you're probably similar on that cost time or cost. You probably in China, it's a little bit. They have a different system, so it's going to be less expensive. You're probably more like six to seven thousand dollars the whole process. Japan's going to be a little more expensive, but they're similar to the U.S. So generally, if you're to hit kind of the U.S., the EU or Europe, and uh, in Japan. Um, those are going to be the, a similar cost and other countries are going to be or can be a little bit more or less expensive. When you get to trademarks, um, you're going to look. So our flat fees are going to look at about eight fifty to prepare and file it to get all the way through the process. You're probably around fifteen hundred upwards of two thousand dollars. If you go to other firms, that ranges anywhere from about a thousand to get all the way through the process up to three or four thousand. So that mm-hmm. one's a bit less expensive. Europe's a bit more expensive. I'd usually say about one and a half that. Japan's going to be similar to the U.S. China's going to be similar to the U.S. So that kind of gives you an idea. Mm-hmm. Trade or copyrights. If you're to file a copyright in the U.S., you're looking at uh, three, four hundred dollars. Similar throughout most of the most of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
that's good. Thank you. So, uh, will you have any hidden secrets for us <laughs> or things that probably are not so well known, but uh, you think are relevant for somebody that has not looked at this in depth? Well, I'll dispel one of the biggest myths, which drives me nuts. And so I don't know if it's a secret or not, but one of the biggest things, and I hear it variations and it can, sometimes it's variation with patents, sometimes it's with copyright, sometimes it's with trademarks. And it's like, it goes something like this. And I'll use patents as an example. Really, there's a secret way to get a patent. And all you have to do is you write down your invention, all the details, you get some drawings, you put it in a, in a, um, a stamped envelope that, you know, you get the date on it and never open it. And then if anybody wants to come along, you can just open, you can just go show them the, uh, the, the sealed envelope with the date stamp and you're fine. That's that that myth drives me nuts because there's there's no truth to it. You can if you sell it, send yourself an envelope that's postmarked and you don't unseal it. Guess what? It doesn't help you at all. I mean, I guess it's better than absolutely nothing, but only by about this much. So really, don't plan on that. So that's one of the biggest myths. What I would really tell people, and it's probably not a secret. I don't know. There's a ton of secrets, but what your best thing is if you're a startup, your small business, or you're any size of company, really everything for an entrepreneur to a big company is the best thing is to go in, find a good attorney and then go in and sit down and get a strategy in place, figure out what the timing is, what budgets you're going to look at, what you're going to need and when you're going to need it. Cause even for a lot of stars who work with, Hey, I get it. I've done it myself. There's always more things to spend money on than money to spend. And so you always are trying to figure out your budgets and what costs. And so you may not be able to afford it all today, but at least go down, sit down, figure out what your budgets are looking at, what the time frame is you're looking at, what you should be doing and get a strategy or a plan in place such that as you go along, as you grow, that you don't miss those opportunities. You don't create issues down the road or you don't have other or drawbacks to that and then start from there. So that's probably, it's not necessarily a secret because there isn't a whole lot of secrets in the patent world but those are probably things to consider. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I have another question now <laughs> sure. that appeared into my mind and I think it's relevant. Um, so, you know, there are companies that launch sub-brands uh, that might not be exactly like the brand, but it's like a small company of the company. Uh, would you say it's better for the trademark to be registered as a, like, like the entrepreneur to register the trademark or is it better for the company to register the trademark? I'll give you the general answer. And there's, I'm sure there's always exceptions. Generally, I tell people, one of the first things I would do, and I always do when I start a company, is to get a, a, a form of business, do an LLC, an S-Corp, a C-Corp, and variations in other countries, they call them slightly different names, but form a corporation. And then whenever you do something, do it through the corporation. And the main reason being, and for most countries, including the U.S., is let's say you went, and filed, you went and filed a trademark under your own personal name. You started a business under your own personal name. You just did it as a your own, you know, as an individual. And you started to, let's say, one is you rip, you infringe somebody's trademark or their patent, or you had product safety and somebody, you know, somebody gets hurt with your product, or they have an, an allergic reaction. If it's under your personal name, they can come and sue you directly. They can come and go after your house, they can go after your car, your life savings. Whereas if you get a business and, you know, an LLC, an S Corp, C Corp, whatever, then you have a buffer. Then if, it, let's say the trademark, you get a trademark, you didn't know it was infringing someone else, you start to use it, you find out you're infringing somebody else. The worst, and it still can be bad, but the worst they can do is come after the business. They can't come after you personally, they can't come after your life savings or your house or other things. And so I would always 
put it under the business as a general rule of thumb because that way it, it gives you that added layer of protection, at least for you personally. And then there's the business that owns it. The other thing that's nice is when the business owns the files that they own it, is that way if somebody wants to come and acquire the business, they want to invest in it or anything else, it's a lot less complicated. You know, it's a lot more difficult if somebody says, hey, I want to come and acquire the business and say, okay, well, just as you, to let you know, all of the intellectual property, all the patents and trademarks, I own personally, and the business doesn't own it. And so you're going to have to make, I'm either going to have to sell it to the business or that's going to be have to be part of the deal or you're going to have to buy those from me separately and it makes it more complicated. And so usually it's always easier to put it under the business, both to protect you personally, as well as to allow for, um, make it a cleaner transaction if somebody wants to get a license or acquire it or otherwise do something. What if the business uh, has to close down at some point? Don't you lose it or do you get transferred to yourself until you transfer it back to another business or? It, dep- I, it depends on how you shut down the business. Generally, if you go bankrupt, they're going to come after you either way. I mean, they're going to, if you try, if you try and shield all the assets by putting them in, in all reality, you have a, 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 a placeholder business and you're running everything with you personally, then you really don't, then you're really personally liable. You can't just go and, oh, I'll start an LLC. Well, we'll have it all selling, but I'll keep all these things in my personal name. It's going to likely cause it that they're going to come after you personally anyway. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, if you're shutting it down and you're not bankrupt, you just decide not to do it anymore, you can still transfer those all to you as a personal, personally as an individual. So if it's a matter of shutting it down, you don't want to keep the doors open, you get lose interest, or you're saying, hey, it's not working out anymore. If you're not in debt, you don't, you're not going bankrupt, it's pretty easy to transfer that to you personally before you shut it down. If you're going bankrupt and you tried to you know, hide all the assets in your personal or in your name personally instead of the business, they're going to come after you either way. So really, in that sense, when you say shut down, bankrupt, they're going to come after you. Not bankrupt, you can transfer it to personally. Mm-hmm. Okay, super. This was very insightful. So, Devin, uh, tell all our listeners here, uh, where can they find you if they want to have a personal discussion with you maybe for some of their uh, issues or businesses? Um, in which way can you help them and uh, what would be the best channels for them to reach out to you? Yeah, so two things that are, are two ways to connect something. If they just want, if they want to reach out to me directly, they want to grab, schedule some time to chat, they want to strategize, they want to go through what they're doing. I do what are free strategy meetings where they can come, we can spend a few minutes, chat kind of what they're going through and at least devise a bit of a strategy. To do that, just go to strategymeeting.com. They, that link that has a calendar links right to my schedule. They can scare grab some time. So strategymeeting.com is the easiest way to connect with, up with me. If they're looking more just to find out about my law firm in general, more kind of the flat fees, learn a bit about patents and trademarks and all the other information and kind of go through all that, then they can just go to Law with Miller. So Miller is my last name, but lawwithmiller.com. And they can uh, find out a lot about the firm and go to the general website. So Scratch some time with me specifically, strategymeeting.com. Learn about, about the firm in general. Go to lawwithmiller.com. Super. So guys, you have uh, the links to, to these platforms as well in the description of the episode as well as in the, scra- in the transcript. So <laughs> you can find them there as well. Um, Devin, are you up to anything uh, fun or interesting that you'd like our listeners to find out about from you over the next, uh, I don't know, couple, couple of months or this year? Oh, uh, lots of things that I, I at least find fun and interesting. I'll give you kind of a se- semi-personal note. So we just acquired 
me and my wife have always wanted to kind of live on a farm. So I'm always a small town person. Um, so I like to live in small towns. I like to be more spread out. My wife and I have always wanted to live on a bit of a farm and be kind of out in the country. So we just recently acquired 20 acres. And I'm just now planting my orchard. I'm planting on or planting 100 trees in the orchard <laughs> and getting that going. So on a personal nice. note, that's fun and exciting to me over the next probably year to 18 months. I'll be start, getting my orchard started and planting a whole bunch of fruit trees. Um, Business-wise, I've got a couple of businesses that I'll probably keep to myself for now that haven't launched or aren't publicly available yet. But okay. I have a couple additional businesses that are going to be launching within the next few months that I think are fun and exciting as well. So personal and uh, personal and business, I, I have plenty of fun things, or at least things that I find, find exciting, or exciting coming up. Very cool. Man, wishing you the best of luck. Uh, it seems like you have everything going on this year. So I'm I'm very happy actually to get a chance to meet, you know, uh, people like you um, that we can connect and also, you know, that was weren't so impacted by the pandemic in the way that they were running their lives and, you know, managed to, to get through and uh, be successful while doing it. Um, regarding today's episode, I think it was great. Thanks so much for the insights. Uh, I really found it insightful personally as well. I think there were a lot of lessons for uh, many of our listeners here. So guys, if you haven't looked at trademarks and copyrights and um, patents, make sure to to have a deeper look into them because they're indeed important. So mainly if you are looking at an exit at some point, uh, you might find these valuable later down the line, but also just to protect yourself and be able to sell and expand and scale up. Um, as I mentioned, that you'll have the links to Devin's platforms in the description of, of this episode. And um, Devin, thank you so much again for, for your time today. This was very fun. And hey, it's I'm, been fun. It's been a pleasure and appreciate you having me on. It was, it was a great conversation. Thank you for being here. Let's keep in touch. And meanwhile, wishing you an amazing day ahead. Thank you.